together. Jesus, we do thank you for the way that you went for us. You died in our place, you rose from the dead, and you modeled for us all along the way what it looked like to depend on the Father through the Spirit. And we pray that this morning we would learn from you about being immersed and submerged in your Holy Spirit. And we pray that uh, in the ways that you intend, you would empower us deeply. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today we have a a great treat, great honor, and that is to uh, hear from one of our own members here at Emmanuel Anglican, uh, David Whited. Some of, many of you know David and his wife Sharon, the three kids, Carter and Lucy and Margot. Uh, my kids talk about his kids every week, uh, and so in a good way. And um, uh, David is a uh, is, uh, fellow Chicagoan, lives in, lives in Kenwood, uh, comes up every Sunday Lakeshore Drive. Um, his uh, works by day, uh, helps lead a software development company uh, in downtown Chicago. Uh, And David also has a strong uh, heart for ministry, strong background in ministry, worked with students as a youth pastor, and then um, as he was the chaplain at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School for about 10 years before helping to lead a church plant in Hyde Park where he worked with students from University of Chicago. Uh, And so David has has graciously agreed to share with us from Acts 2, this Pentecost, to help us connect with uh, the Holy Spirit. So David, come bring the word to us. Thank you, Father Aaron. Praise the Lord. You all are in a little bit of danger this morning. You probably don't know that, but you are listening to a preacher who hasn't preached in almost a year. Um, so uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot on the cutting room floor this morning in this sermon. Uh, and uh, uh, there's also a lot of delight um, to be able to bring the word this morning with you. I want to start by saying my wife is actually at another church this morning. She's a uh, staff counselor at another church, and she's, uh, being ta- she's introducing herself to the congregation this morning. Um, and so she's not here with us. Uh, I wish she was here, but she's, she's doing the Lord's work um, at another church across town. Um, but I wanted to start by saying thank you this morning. Thank you to this congregation. Thank you to Father Aaron. Thanks for all the leaders at Emmanuel, because uh, when we came to Emmanuel, uh, it's been almost, well, this summer, uh, this past summer, we came from a church plant and we were pretty burned out and exhausted. And we walked in these doors and I think settled somewhere right around there. And uh, we were afraid at all of our edges. And everybody in our family was just a little bit exhausted and beat up. And this place has been a profound place of healing for us. Um, it's been a place where we've sensed the tenderness of God working and beckoning us to himself uh, to restore us. And he's done that through you. And so I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to this body uh, for welcoming us and receiving us. And uh, so it is a joy. It is a joy to bring the word this morning. Um, Let me pray quickly. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I don't know how many of you caught this, but there was an article a couple of days ago uh, in the Trib um, 
about the Rio Games um, and how we're heading up to the to beginning of the Rio Games. Now, we know that love doesn't delight in evil, right, or rejoice in somebody else's difficulties, but I don't think the trib is, like, all that loving right now because they were just examining all of sort of the chaos that's happening in Brazil with uh, uh, just three months away from these games. As a matter of fact, you know, they don't even know who the, who the president's going to be when, when the games begin because there's just so much chaos. And I have to admit, I, I, I was one of those Chicagoans. Now, this may divide us here, but the Holy Spirit will bring us back together. Um, I was one of those Chicagoans that was, was kind of disappointed when we didn't get the Olympics. And I know it was stupid financially, and I know we'd be paying, my, you know, my grandkids would be paying for it, but it just seemed like it was going to be a lot of fun, right? And, and, um, I, and part of the reason why I was so excited about it was, um, was I just I started thinking about sort of the opening ceremonies in Chicago. And, and, and what the opportunities that would present themselves if we sort of had our own opening ceremonies in Chicago. And, you know, I watched the, the 2012 opening ceremonies in London thinking about this. And you guys, you guys remember how crazy they were? Do you remember there was, like, James Bond escorting the Queen in and Mary Poppins killing Voldemort, which was really, really strange? Um, and then there was that strange part where they were celebrating the National Health Service and all those kids were, like, bouncing up and dead, down on beds in the middle of the football stadium. And everybody else around the world was going, what in the world is going on? Uh, what is the NHS? Um, I, was thinking about, I was thinking about how Chicago might do this. I don't know how many of you guys have had the chance to travel around the world, uh, but uh, probably most of you, but I don't know if you've experienced this, but most of the time when I'm somewhere in some other country and I say I'm from Chicago, I, there's like sort of one reaction, and it's, it's usually like, oh, you're from Chicago, Al Capone, bang, bang. And I'm like, really? We're stuck on Al Capone, bang, bang. Like, you know, I mean, you know, several things. We've had Oprah since then, you know, lots of stuff. And, um, but, and so there was this part of me that really wanted to correct some of the perceptions about Chicago, right? And I thought this opening ceremony would be a great way to do this. I was thinking we could, we could maybe open with, you know, Jean-Baptiste Dussable, like, making a homestead in the middle of all the stink weeds down, you know, at Pioneer Court. You know, we could have, like, characters with really big shoulders out there, like, in their costumes. You know, at one point, the whole set would burn down, and then we would build it from the ashes. You know? I was like, I just, you know, there, there would, you know we'd have to bring out Haymarket. That's for you, Tyler, wherever you are. Um, we had to, we'd have to bring out, I was thinking maybe, like, the Super Bowl shuffle, like, bring back all the living 85 Bears, like, everybody's doing the Super Bowl shuffle. Like, it would just be this chance to reintroduce Chicago to the world mm. and show them that we're more, than, we're more than just Al Capone, bang, bang, right? We're more than that. We've actually got a really powerful, rich story of a people who, mm. who are really industrious and hardworking, and there's a lot, there's a lot that's painful in our history. Mm. Um, but there's a lot that's beautiful, too, to be celebrating. Mm. I want to say this morning that as we, as we open these, this second chapter of Acts, that Really what we're looking at here um, is our origin story. And, you know, there are a lot of things that people say about the church whenever you bring up the church. It's not really most of the time much better than Al Capone, bang, bang, right? Um, a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about what the church is supposed to be. And I'm hoping this morning that as we open God's word that we'll look at it and we'll see again exactly what it is the church is called to be who we are. I'm hoping as we open these, word, open these words that um, as we look at the story of the birth of the church that we'll 
be able to maybe go back to our roots. That we won't just settle for having some cool insights from some of the links between the Old Testament and the New Testament and how, you know, all the symbolism there. We're going to look at that. But my prayer is that we'd be able to look beyond insights into sort of being swept up into this beautiful thing that God is doing through his through these people who've been submerged in the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. This is our story. This is the story of the birth of the church. What, what we're doing right here, right now in the Kiva, what we're doing right here, this is the first one of those. So look around. What we see here, this is the first one of those. As we sit together and all together by God's grace and mercy, seek to listen to Jesus speak to us through the power of the Spirit and work to renew and heal and change and revive us. This is the first one of those. Like all good origin stories, this story has the power to remind us who we are, to beckon us back to what is essential, and to call us back to our roots. Almost all of the important things that can be known about the church are found in the opening chapters of of Luke's Acts of the Apostles. And of course, you know, there's the magisterial treatment of the church that we find that Paul writes for us in Ephesians. Um, But really, the heart of what God is doing is here, can be seen right here at the beginning. So let's dive in and look around. I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles. We're going to go back a little bit for some context to Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. You can either look it up on your phone or I'll read it for you. You can just listen. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered the disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's hard to fathom what kind of turmoil must be going on in the hearts of the disciples at this point. You've got to, we've got to remember that they loved Jesus. They'd been with him for three years. They'd walked with him everywhere he'd gone. He, they had taught, they'd learned from him a, a whole new way of thinking about everything in the world. Um, He was their hope. Everything that they longed for, they had sort of taken all of their longings and invested in them in him. And then they lost him. And then they got him back. And now, at this point in the story, it starts to become clear to everybody that the way that he was going to be with them going forward was not the way that it had been for for those three prior years. The way he was going to be with them going forward was going to be different. And so Jesus, you know, the teacher with the easy yoke, um, is giving instructions to his students right up until the last minute before his ascension. He's always teaching. Jesus is always teaching. Still, even now, among us, teaching. And Jesus says, what you've got to do is, is I want you to stay here. Remain here, he says. John engulfed you in water is a symbol of repentance. But as the Father has promised for ages now, you're going to be, not many days from now, completely, like you were submerged in the water, you're going to be taken and completely submerged in the Holy Spirit. I think it's important to stop and think about like what kinds of things they would 
they would, would have been in their, in their sense, their, their understanding of what this means, of who the Spirit is. And there's so many references and, and so many things that we can learn about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And I imagine that these were some of the things as they thought about what was going to happen to them, the Spirit that they were going to be submerged into. This is who the Spirit is for these, for these early New Testament disciples. This is the same Spirit of God who hovered over creation and made everything that is. This is the same Spirit of God who came upon the artist Bezalel, the designer and artist who, who, who um, built all kinds of beautiful things for the tabernacle. This is the same Spirit of God that we read about in Ezekiel 36, um, the same Spirit of God who is going to come and give, take a stony heart out of people and put in them a heart of flesh. This is the same Spirit of God who is going to come into people, move, up, move in and take up residence in people, and teach people from the inside, from the inside how to follow the law of God. This is foretold in, in Ezekiel, that no longer will the law just sit outside of you as some sort of external source for you to follow. It's not that the law will disappear, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God himself, will come and live inside of you and teach you how to walk God's ways. As you attend to him. It's the same spirit of God in Ezekiel 37. Who in, in Ezekiel's vision hovered over the valley of these dead dry bones. And as the spirit of God came in contact with deadness. All of a sudden tissue and sinew and muscle began to come onto them. And began to work together. And then all of a sudden that which was dead came to life. This is the spirit God. It's the same Spirit of God in Joel chapter 2 who falls on sons and daughters and old men and old women and young women and young men and when the Spirit falls on them they immediately begin to, to speak God's truth powerfully. To declare God's truth. They begin to prophesy. Speak with boldness about what God is doing. This is the same Spirit of God that the disciples were intimately acquainted with because Jesus had announced that it was through the power and the anointing of the Spirit of God that all of the beautiful and wondrous and miraculous healing things that he did, it was through that Spirit of God that Jesus moved and lived and had his being. So when Jesus says, you're going to be engulfed, in the spirit. This is what they're thinking. The teaching, renewing, creative, filling, taking things that are dead and making them alive again. Spirit of God. I'm going to baptize you into the spirit. The same spirit. Completely put you under in the spirit. And you, like those dry bones who were dead, will come up because of your contact with the Spirit of God. Will come up brand new. A new thing altogether. Renovated. Alive. Renovated and alive. Let's look at Acts 1.6. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he'd said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And the interesting thing that's going on here, I think, is that um, this is one of the most, uh, it, at first glance, it's a bit comical. Pastor Susan talked about this last week. First glance, it's, it's a bit comical that you see these, these disciples, when Jesus ascends, they're standing there and they're looking up into heaven and they're kind of stuck. Like they see him go up and they're just standing there like, what happens next? Like, what's, what's going next? What happens next? And they just kind of get stuck. So, I mean, in one way it's comical, but in another way it's tragic, right? They don't want to leave the place where, they lost, where it feels like they lost him. And so they just wait right there. And it, and it seems like they're, they're trying to be as faithful as they can to his words to stay, right? So they're like, okay, stay. <laughs> and they just look and they wait until they get interrupted by these men in white robes who say, no, 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 don't, not here. Don't stay here. Um, this is not it. Um, because Jesus is going to come back in the same way that you saw him go. But before that all happened, they asked Jesus this question. Lord, will at this time you restore the kingdom to Israel? And I think it discloses something that, that, uh, that really happens in all of us. In times when we're scared or afraid. In times when we feel like God is not as near to us or we're afraid that he might depart from us and not be with us as we hope. They, they start looking for what, what, is, what is dependable. God, can you maybe give me a timetable? That's what, that's what we need, Jesus, here. We're feeling a little shaky, feeling a little scared. Feeling like nothing's really all that certain right now. We lost you. We got you back. Looks like it's le- you're leaving again like in the next few minutes. Hey, can you give us a timetable? You just imagine like the disciples as they're following Jesus around. And it becomes clear that, that, that Jesus, Jesus is a really incredible candidate to become the king of Israel. Right? I mean, these amazing things are happening where Jesus is walking up on the sides of mountains and making these very royal sounding sort of proclamations about the kingdom. And not only that, but there's this amazing feeding program that starts with the spontaneous generation of of loaves and fishes. And not only that, but Jesus is like a doctor for everybody because sick people come to him. I mean, who could be a better king than Jesus, right? So the disciples start to see this, and, and, and they see what's happening. And they, they've got this idea that Jesus is going to be, surely what's happening here is that Jesus is going to become the king of Israel, and then we're going to overthrow the Romans, and then we're going to, we're going to be, and, and the great thing about this is we're kind of in his entourage. This is awesome. <laughs> and so Jesus is blowing up, and we're right here alongside of him, and you can see sort of the Gantt charts forming in the disciples' heads about this kingdom-starting project, right? It's like, this is my role kingdom and this is the timetable for this and so they've got all of these ideas in their heads. And I don't mean to make them sound mercenary because I, it's not as if all of their motivations were bad. I'm sure I'm sure that they saw in King Jesus they saw the liberator for their people. They saw 
They saw wisdom. They saw healing. They saw a king who would rule with justice and equity and love. And all their hopes, they placed all their hopes on him. So when their, those hopes were dashed, it was profoundly disappointing. And so they go for that thing which they think is certain. It's the thing that's in their head. It's the timetable. Jesus, can you teach us the timetable? And Jesus gently, as the teacher, as he so often does, and this is what he does for all of us as we're submerged in the Spirit, a community submerged in the Spirit. He says, I'd like for you to give me what you think is certain, please. And I will give you back what you really need. If you wouldn't mind, just hand me that thing that will make you feel safe for a bit, but that isn't real. And I will give you back what you really need. And what you're really going to need, folks, what you're really going to need, fellas, is you're going to need my power. Because you see, I'm ascending to the throne. And as I ascend to the throne, I am the rightful king of all creation. And I, as the king of all creation, I have defeated death. I have defeated sin. And now I rule. Even now I rule. And I am making all things new from my throne. And you will come to understand that as you are plunged deep in the spirit. You will come to see my kingly rule. And you are to be heralds of my kingly rule. You are to go to all the nations and tell them about King Jesus who defeated sin and death and is making all things new through his glorious reign of love. You are to go and you are to be my witnesses. But it's going to be hard because other people don't see it or know it yet. So you think you need a timetable, but you don't. What you need is power. You need power because the journey is going to be long and hard. But I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will always, always be with you. This morning in Life Together Submerged in the Spirit, what we have to learn is that the plan that governs, governs all other plans is the plan of waiting and watching and listening for what God is doing. Under Jesus' rule, that's plan number one. This is the way of humble trust. Waiting and watching. Moving out of our own timetables and our own expectations into under the Father's authority and His timetable. You know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of like the difference between when Sharon drives me to work and I ride the bus to work. Because when Sharon drives me to work, I can inform Sharon. I, hey, hon, I would love it. Can we leave right like here in a couple of minutes? Because I need to get there a little bit early. When I ride the bus, I'm under somebody else's authority. <laughs> I'm on somebody else's timetable altogether. But I submit myself. I get on the bus. It gets me to work. Now, there's nothing wrong with making a plan. As long as we don't trust in our plan. As long as our trust isn't in our plan. For those living a life together submerged in the Spirit, paying attention to what God is doing. 
living under his authority is plan one. I had a mentor, a very powerful mentor, who told me, he said, David, you are what you do with your attention. Where you give your attention is what you will become. And this cultivated sensitivity to the Holy Spirit is, and where he's moving and working is a fundamental disposition and skill for those, for all communities baptized in the Spirit of God. Think about Luke chapter 10, when Jesus instructs the, people, instructs the disciples to go door to door. What does he tell them? He says, go and if you, if, you, if you go somewhere and you find a person who's a person of peace, then stay there with them, right? Like if you go and you sense the Spirit of God is already at work here, stay there. He teaches us as his disciples to, to watch for where God is already at work. That's what disciples do. I went to a concert last night. I don't know how you guys know Punch Brothers. I went to hear the Punch Brothers last night. They're this bluegrass alt-country band. And the best mandolin player in the whole world um, is the leader of this group. And there's like, there's five guys. And for about two magical hours, they played together. And it, their music is so incredible, it sounds like water. Like it's like it just flows. It's just amazing. And I was watching them make this beautiful music together. And they would do these solos where you could hear that each person on their own was a complete and total virtuoso, a master of their instrument. And what they did on their own was beautiful. But when they stopped and they listened to each other and they interacted with each other and they compounded their beauty, the beauty of their contribution all together, when they paid attention to each other, what came out was incredible. The thing that enables them to create something truly moving and beautiful is the way that they pay attention to each other. Listening to each other as they move like water through rhythms of tension and rest, harmony and dissonance. That's the way we're designed to live with the Holy Spirit. Stopping. Listening. Being still to Him. Watching for his every move, undistracted, waiting, listening. And this requires practice. It's hard for us, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Let's look at Acts 2. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And as they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Um, we're going to look at just a couple of things here that, that I hope to draw out. Um, the first thing is that obviously this this baptism in the Spirit happens during the Feast of Pentecost. And I think for us, we think Pentecost following the Holy Spirit, but we've got to remember that like for them, Pentecost was first, right? They, they were celebrating Pentecost, which was one of the Jewish spring festivals. Um, and there were several things that were celebrated during Pentecost. Um, the day after, the Sunday after Passover, uh, they would celebrate, the Jewish people would celebrate first fruits and so the very, very first element of the new harvest, the very first grain of wheat from the new harvest when we come and be presented to the Lord. Okay? Then um, 50 days would pass, and they would celebrate the whole ingathering of the harvest. 
And that's what the celebration of Pentecost was. It was the gathering in of, of the wheat harvest, of, of, of the harvest, all the harvests. I'm not a farmer, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> of all the harvests. Um, and it was a celebration. It was time for thanksgiving, for God's provision. And the symbolism here is so incredibly rich. I had this really good friend in seminary, and where I went to school, there were like, it was mostly a bunch of theology eggheads, like we talked about, like Texas-sized heads and Delaware-sized hearts. Um, but I had this one friend who was not like that at all. Um, he, was, he was just kind of an artist. And I remember one day we were having this conversation about, about superlapsarianism or infralapsarianism or something. I don't remember what it was. And he looked at all of us and he said, folks, God has style. Yes, that's the good theology right there. God has so much style. He has so much style. He chooses to pour out His Holy Spirit on this day when, when that is so filled already with so much symbolism, so that nothing will be lost on anybody that's happening. They'll see it all. They'll see exactly what He's doing. You see, Jesus rising on that first Sunday. He's like the first fruit of the new creation. He's the first man in the new world. He's, the, he's, he's opening up the new day. And then now, as the Holy Spirit falls on this little community who's sitting, waiting, and gathered, this is the incoming of the big harvest. When the first man of the new creation, the one who makes the way, now goes ahead and brings all of these brand new, these new, new people in to the harvest. I was reading this and I was just thinking about Jesus. Jesus looking at the fields with the disciples and his heart being so, so engaged. He says, look, the fields are ripe. They're white for harvest. They're just ready to be harvested. All we need is, Lord, send labors into the harvest. This is the fulfillment of that prayer. You see it, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Jesus longing to see the harvest, and he's the first fruit of the harvest. And now everyone else is being brought in. This is the answer to Jesus' prayer that the Father would send laborers into the harvest. And as these laborers are gathered together, waiting as Jesus asked them to do, the Spirit falls, and they are immersed in the renewing, redeeming Spirit of God. And it is a full-on holy commotion. It's just a racket. That's what Dallas Willard called it. Just a racket. So much noise. So much going on. Tongues of fire on people's heads. Sound. This sound of a mighty rushing wind. And then all of a sudden everybody begins to speak in other languages. Now there's lots of symbolism here. But I don't think anybody's really, really clear on exactly what the symbolism is. Except I think Tom Wright had it really right. He said, he said like wind comes and launches ships out into the water. The, the baby church is being launched out into the world. And like fire starts very small and then spreads. That's what's going to happen here. The fire is, 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 is on people's heads and it's going to spread like wildfire all around the world. All around the world. And people begin to speak in all of these different languages. Now if you guys will indulge me, we can have a really good conversation about the gift of tongues here. And I grew up charismatic and became a uh, believer in a charismatic church. But I want to focus on what I, I think there's lots of more technical things we could talk about about that later on in the New Testament. But I'm not quite sure that's exactly what's going on here. That's what we should focus on here. 
I think there's other things that are going on that would be important to focus on. And let's just spend the last couple of minutes looking at it. First of all, uh, let's, let's read. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. At this sound, the multitude came together. And as they were, they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all those these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arab, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. The interesting thing about this is if you, if, you, if you look at a map of Jerusalem and you plot out all of the people that are, list, that are listed here, it makes a big ring around Jerusalem. It's almost like if you were at summer camp in Jerusalem and we posted one of those big signs, one of those, one of those stakes in the ground, and we put those signs that say Chicago, 800 miles, Los Angeles, 1,200 miles. Like there would be little stakes pointing in all directions around Jerusalem for all of these people, where all of these people are going. The interesting thing is that God has gathered right here for the Peace of Pentecost, everybody in. And the interesting thing, I think the thing that's important for us to see here is this, is when all of this holy commotion moves outside and people get, start, start to notice it, they hear the people talking, and every person from every part of the world hears what's going on, and the first thing that they think of is what is happening over there in that commotion has something to do with me. I'm being drawn into this. This thing that's happening over here that looks a little crazy has something to do with me. Whatever it is that's happening over there seems like they're speaking my heart language. I hear them speaking my language. I hear them speaking refugee. I hear them speaking business. I hear them speaking artist. I hear them speaking immigrant. I hear them speaking married. I hear them speaking single. I hear them speaking it's complicated. All of these things. Everyone who listens hears and perceives that this message is for them. God himself takes the initiative and begins to draw people in to the harvest. Do you see the pattern here? People wait and listen and watch for what God is doing. They submit to his authority and timetable. And then he takes the initiative and moves. And the fruit of their labors far exceeds their, their own effort in their work. That's the way it works in the kingdom. Second thing, so the first thing we see is that, is that when people hear this good news about King Jesus and how he's overcome sin and death and the grave and how his reign of love will renew all things they immediately perceive that there's something in there for them. That should make us bold with our message. Bold. No one is outside the, the, uh, the scope of this message. The second thing I think it's important to see for us this morning is that the very first place where the Spirit of God ventures is into brokenness. The very first place the Spirit of God, when He descends upon the new people of God, is He descends and moves into their difference and begins to bring what is different 
and broken together. Folks, this is the curse-breaking, curse-reversing power of God packed like dynamite that comes embedded in the witness to the kingdom. And just like when Jesus came and humbled himself and moved in, when he moved into earth, moved into the lowliest place, into a manger, into the humblest of place. When the Spirit of God moves in, the very first place he moves is into one of the places of most profound brokenness in our shared humanity. He moves into our difference and he begins to unite. He begins to bring together. This, this should make us a u- people uniquely suited to enter into the brokenness in the broken places of the world. Knowing that the Spirit of God moves through us and works through us. Close. Uh, I, uh, when I was chaplain at Trinity, we had this really um, horrible event happen where we had somebody leave hate mail in a campus mailbox for uh, three different students of color. <laughs> and the last mail, piece of mail that they left was so threatening and incendiary that, that we had to actually move all the students of color off of campus because we felt like their safety was threatened. And it turned into a big, a big thing, like Jesse Jackson was there, like Good Morning America, like it just turned into this giant thing that happened. But what we had in this little community was this place where, where our difference and the pain of that difference had just been kind of exposed and broken open. And as a pastor in that community, I, I remember just thinking, Lord Jesus, how will you work in this? Like, what are you, what are you doing? What are you doing in this? So a little group of us got together and we decided, you know what we've got to do is we've got to start having some conversations. And so we planned this very intentional conversation called uh, the Sankofa journey, which is um, Sankofa bird is a mythical bird from West Africa, which is this bird that can't fly forward without looking backwards. Um, so all the images of the bird are with his head facing backwards, but he's, he's moving forwards. And what we decided to do was pair up biracial pairs of students and get on a bus together and travel down through all of the major sites of the civil rights movement together and essentially just experience together um, the painful parts of our past. So we left Chicago and we started watching movies like Amistad on the bus and started immediately sort of engaging with each other. And I remember there was one point at which uh, I I was paired up with this really great um, college student named Watson Jones who's from the South Side who's now a church planter in Philadelphia and we're like really, really close now. This sort of bonded us forever. Um, But I remember we were, um, we went to Birmingham and it was a really rough day in Birmingham together. We were outside 16th Street Baptist Church, and uh, we actually ran into, in Kelly Ingram Park, where all of those riots, where all those small children were hosed down by Bull Connor with, with that hose of water, and where they brought the dogs out on all the teenagers and small children. We, uh, we were standing in that park and actually had the chance to meet this woman who walked up to us, and she was the daughter of the pastor at 16th Street, and she actually was friends with all of the little girls that died in the bombing. She stood there and pointed to the church and told us the story of losing her friends. 
And this just shook me to the core, but it shook my friend Watson just to bedrock. And we were laying down that night. We were staying in the same hotel room, and he looked over at me, and he said, he just said, David, I can't wait to get out of Birmingham. I don't even know if I can sleep here tonight. And I remember at that point the Spirit of God moving in to our room and bringing comfort in our togetherness in a way that was really powerful. In a way that both of us now remember and recall and and, and can still feel. And I remember all of the difficult conversations that we had all along that journey about all of the years of pent-up misunderstanding between the races. And sometimes it would get really hard and honest. But at every point, the Spirit of God was present to us bringing things that aren't supposed to be together in the world together. Reversing the curse of Babel. Breaking down walls. And not just bringing us together, but healing us. That is what it means to be the submerged, baptized people of God and the Holy Spirit. The attentive Be bold. Be bold knowing that our witness is for all people, good news for all people. Be willing to follow the Spirit of God into the broken places in our world, into the broken places in our brothers and sisters, and even into the broken places in our own hearts, knowing that He heals and restores and makes all things new. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.